It's a great honor to speak on behalf of an organization, really a movement that is unique, and that it's the movement of the G'dayle Yisrael. And it's most fitting that it should take place here in this home, in the home of Yedidi Rabbi Yossi Brachfeld, who aside from me being grateful to him for uh, his friendship over the last uh, year and a half, and for alerting me to any time there's a Geshmaka Dvar Torah from the Chain Toiv, or Rabbi Shleim Al-Kabetz. So Rabbi Yossi teaches me a very important lesson. And that is, you know, uh, we live in a generation, Baruch Hashem, there's a lot of chashivos for Limar HaToyra, a lot of chashivos and Haikara for Gedoyle HaToyra, but it's become, for some, Gedoylem, it's like a photo op. It's a tourist trap. You went to Eretz Yisrael, did you go to Reb Chaim? Did you go to this Gadol? Did you get a good picture? Did you get a good video? But if you have a question in life, or you have an issue, a community issue, a personal issue, are we actually mevat el das to what the G'dayle Yisrael say? That's a different question entirely. But we have a way around it. We know how to phrase the question in a certain way where we get the answer we want so we can listen to what the G'daylem tell us. But speaking to Rabbi Yossi about a number of different things over the last uh, year and change, whenever an issue has come up for me, or in general, so Rabbi Yossi tells me, Rabbi Aaron Leib said like this, the Skolana uh, Rebbe said like this, and I didn't ask him with any preconceived notion, any inclination, and uh, living life in this way is a recipe for great siyata deshmaya, so Mavarach Rabbi Yossi and his mishpacha, that in this bias they should only see great siyata deshmaya, so a lot of people to mention, I want to thank uh, my good friend Rabbi Yanki Aram, one of the Rosh Berisha, and for many, Chashva and Yanim, and my uncle, Rabbi Chi Pinter, who was very involved with Leib Achim, and my Shver, Rabbi Avram Pinter, thank you everyone for coming. So you've been hearing a lot about Leib Achim over the last 20 years, and I'm sure you know more than me. I want to give you a a little bit of a different perspective, a little bit out of the box. I want to take you back to the 15th century, take you back 500 years. Rabbi Avram Saba, the author of the Tzor HaMar, one of the illustrious Gedolim of Spain, he was one of the Gerushe Svarad. He was exiled in 1492, he wrote many Perushim, he wrote Tzor HaMar on Chumash, he wrote Eshkel HaKoifra, Megillus Esther, he wrote a Perush on uh, and in 1492, he's chased out of Spain. He goes to Aporto, to Portugal. He's hoping for safe haven, but no, not a chance. So let's talk about where he was holding. He had just wrote a commentary on Chamishi Chamshe Torah, in manuscript. <coughs> he wrote on Megillus Esther, on all the Megillus, and on Perkeyavos. A few years later, King Emmanuel decreed that the Jews would be expelled from Portugal. But then they came into Rabbi Avram's house and they confiscated his entire library aside from his personal manuscripts. And thank also Rabbi Carmel for uh, his amazing work for Leva Achim. They confiscated all of his manuscripts except for his personal commentary. And they took all of his books, thousands of svarim, along with all the svarim in Portugal and they burnt it in Lisbon. And that was the end of Sifre Koidesh in the country of Portugal. But luckily, Rabbi Avram Saba still had his personal treasure. He had his perush, Allah Torah, Tzor HaMar, Eshkel HaKoifer, Perkei Avos. And then one day a friend told him, 
that his uh, treasure had been discovered, and that if he doesn't immediately burn his entire parish, he will be killed immediately. So Abram, in the uh, dark of the night, he went out, he buried his commentary on the Torah under an olive tree, and he never saw it again. The, the Tzorah Amor that we have today, he rewrote from memory. Fine. But this was by far not the extent of his suffering. Before the expulsion, King Emmanuel had a terrible surprise in store for the Jews of Portugal. All Jewish children below the age of 18 were forcibly kidnapped, baptized. Rabbi Avram Saba got a knock on his door. His two young sons were taken away. He never saw his children again. But he wasn't the only one. Not one child in the entire country of Portugal ever came back to their parents. Tens of thousands of Jewish children were forcibly baptized in 1494. So let's imagine for a moment, what would Kalal Yisrael look like today if we had those 80,000 children back? 19th century, Tsarist Russia, 1801 to 1855, Cantonists, Jewish children conscripted in the Russian army. For how long? 25 years. They were drafted from about the age of 18, sometimes from the age of 12. Every community had coppers, basically Jewish kidnappers. They had to provide a quota of children for the uh, authorities. So, the authorities didn't know the difference between a 14-year-old kid, a 12-year-old kid, an 8-year-old kid, so... They would sometimes take eight and nine-year-old children. The child would then spend 25 years in the Russian army. A child at the age of eight, or at the age of 12, or at the age of 18, that would spend 25 years in the Russian army, not only had little chance of remaining a from Jew, had zero chance of remaining Jewish. They were forcibly baptized in most cases. So if I could share with you two personal accounts. This is an account of Zelig Lazarov Grinfeld. This boy remembers, I did not want to convert to Russian Orthodoxy. I was born a Jew. I wanted to die a Jew. I cried and begged, but they tortured me. One time the sergeant hit me so hard over the head, I laid unconscious. I woke up in a hospital and they told me my new name was Peter. I had already been baptized. Another young man, Dmitry Kaufman, he testified that he was beaten over the hands and then they took needles and they stuck it up his fingernails until he agreed to convert to Christianity at the age of 13 and a half. How many Jewish children were lost in the 19th century in the Cantonist Gezerah? About 100,000 Jewish children that we never saw again. What would Klal Yisrael look like today? if we still had those 100,000 Jewish children. We might be double in size. So there's a Jew in Beverly Hills. The name is Spiegel, or Spiegel. 75 years ago, he went to Auschwitz with his wife and a five-year-old boy. Ten months later, he came out all by himself. He comes to Los Angeles. He became an extremely successful entrepreneur. He owned a great degree of real estate. He visited Israel. He goes to Yad Vashem. He says, I want to make a memorial for my son. He gave Yad Vashem four and a half million dollars. Sure, Leib Achim could use four and a half million dollars. He said, I want you to make a memorial for my son, but not just for my son, 
for my son and the 1.5 million children who were killed under the age of 12. 1.5 million Jewish children. Could you imagine that number? It's impossible. Imagine the Siam Hashas and just multiply that. Since then, he's given another $10 million to build a museum, to complete it, to endow it. And if you go to his memorial, you would not be prepared for what you would see. So you go into a room, eight or ten stories tall, about 50 times the size of this room. And the room is pitch black. It's so dark, you can't put one foot in front of the other. It's palpably black. You could feel the darkness. And after a moment, your eyes begin to adjust, and you see that in the middle of this immense sea of darkness and blackness, there's one candle. And by the genius of the designer and the architect, through reflections and mirrors, this one pinpoint of light becomes one million pinpoints of light in the vast sea of darkness. So all you see are specks of light in thick black. And there's a voice over it. There's a tape that plays. And all you hear for the entire day, name after name after name. Hillel Cohen, three years old, Vilna. Miriam Goldberg, seven years old, Sarajevo. Names after names for hours and hours and hours and you could spend there 24 hours and you've only begun to scratch the surface of the names of the Kinderlach until you want to run out of the room and bury yourself. What if today we still had these a million Jewish children? What would Klal Yisrael look like today? What would Eretz Yisrael look like today? Would we even have to worry about the government? 1946, Rabbi Beryl Wine tells over a story. He was 11 years old, and his father said, No, Beryl, we're going to the airport. He said, What's in the airport? Chicago Midway Airport. We're going to visit a great rabbi who's coming to visit. Which rabbi? Rabbi Isaac Halevi Herzog, first chief rabbi. Rabbi of Palestine after the war. My grandfather knew him very well in the DP camps. My grandfather, after liberation, will work very closely with Rabbi Herzog. And Rabbi Wein said the whole city of Chicago went to greet Rabbi Herzog, and he was a very aristocratic personality. He wore a shiny top hat. He had a cane. He held a Tanakh in his hand. And all the Masifta Bachrim in the whole East Coast, which numbered about 200, came to visit and to escort Rav Herzog to the Skoki Yeshiva. And Rav Herzog gets up to the podium, and he gave a 45-minute drash on Yiddish. And when he was finished, he turns to the young man, and he was a uh, Rav in Ireland, so he spoke with a slight Irish brogue. And he turns to the young man, and he says, and now I would like to speak with you. I just came back from Italy. I just came back from Rome. I had a personal audience with Pope, Pope Pius XII probably a Lushan Sagi And I had with me a list, and on the list was, were the names of 10,000 Jewish boys and girls who were given over by Jewish families 
to Christian families or to monasteries or to churches because they didn't think they would survive and they were hoping to save their children. He said, Pope, these are our children. I have their names. I have their father's names. I have their mother's names. They belong to us. Give us back our children. And the Pope reads the names and he says, very nice. And he slammed the door on Rav Herzog. He said, all of these children were baptized. Our religion says once a child is baptized, we will never give them back. And they lock the doors on Rav Herzog. Whereupon Rav Herzog is standing in front of the auditorium in 1946, and he breaks down on the lectern crying like a baby for what seemed like an eternity. Rabbi Wine writes, he was never so frightened in his whole life. And then Rav Herzog lifted up his head, and his head was beat red like a lion, and he roared out to the young men. He said, there's nothing I could do for these 10,000 kinderlach. They're lost forever. But you, young men, you're still around. You're still part of us. What are you going to do for the future of the Jewish people? What are you going to do for Klai Yisrael? And Rabbi Wine said we were shaking to our core. We lined up and he shook each one of our hands and he looked us in the eye and he said, don't forget what I told you. What are you going to do for the future of the Jewish people? And when I read this, this was not a story to me. My grandfather, Zeretzak Avrach, he was just Nifter, he's a survivor of Auschwitz, he was a Talmud Muvaka, Rav Menachem Zemba, he was just Nifter at 105 years old. He writes in his personal memoirs that in 1945, he met Rav Herzog in the DP camps, and Rav Herzog told him he just came back from the Pope, and he asked the Pope, give us back the Kinderlach, and the Pope said, get out of here. By the way, Rav Herzog told my grandfather, he traveled to Europe during the Holocaust, and he asked the Pope to put a stop to the crematoria, and the Pope also closed the door on his face. Says Rabbi Wine, many times in life I'm discouraged, I'm disheartened, but Rev Herzog's cry rings in my ear, what will you do for the future of the Jewish people? What would we look like today if we had those 10,000 children back? What would Klai Yisrael look like? So I ask all of you friends, what are you going to do for the future of the Jewish people? Can we ever get those children back? 100,000 Jewish children in Portugal. 100,000 Jewish kinderlach in Russia. A million and a half Jewish children in the 1939 to 1945. Where do we even start? Where do we even begin? We start today. We start this morning. We start with Leib Lachem. There are tens of thousands of Jewish children in Eretz Yisrael they don't know Shema Yisrael? A million and a half. A million and a half. And I, I didn't set that up. So a million and a half Jewish children in Eretz Yisrael. They don't know Shema Yisrael. They don't know Avraham Avinu. And they don't know, most painfully, they don't know Avinu Shema Shemayim. And in other times in history, there's nothing you could do to bring the children back. Other times in history... For a few dollars, you know what you could do? You could build a museum to remember children that were lost forever. But today, the Rebbe has given a historic opportunity. 
For a few bucks, you can have the children back. That's all it takes. It just takes money. You don't have to build a museum. You don't have to build an eight-story building with specks of light. Today, you could buy the children back. HaKadosh Baruch Hu should give us the Siyata Deshmaya and the Zuchus to take advantage of really historic opportunity. Today there's great fear in Eretz Yisrael. What's the government going to look like? What do you do about it? The only thing you could do about it, in aim Gediyam Ein Tiyashem, the only thing you could do about it is start with the Kenach. May HaKadosh Baruch Hu give us the Seichel, the good sense, the Zuchus, the Siyata Deshmaya to take advantage really of historic opportunity and to have a chilek in the nitzchias of Klal Yisrael, and may it be a chus for the Yeshua that we're all hoping for, the Vyaskal Tzedek, and Hervi Amino. Amen.